I am Plant on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Hannah Shafi joins me now. She's recently published a new collection of poetry and illustrations, People You Know, Places You've Been. It's an engaging collection because she approaches everyday moments and the sort of strangers we all encounter with clarity and empathy. Through her insightful writing, we, the reader, can think critically about community, about what's heroic, what's toxic, as well as friendship. She also gives voice to the ambivalence we all feel when we see somebody do good, but also uh, do something not so good. And in the case of one poem I'll ask her about, it's uh, a pretty mundane interaction that uh, she witnesses on public transit. This collection is uh, richly illustrated as well. Hannah Shafi is a writer and artist who illustrates under the name Frizz Kid. Her work frequently explores themes such as feminism, body politics, racism, and pop culture. She uh, re- She's published articles in publications such as The Walrus, Hazlitt, and This Magazine. She received the Women Who Inspire Award from the Canadian Council for Muslim Women in 2017. She lives in Toronto, where she joined me uh, from nearly one month ago. This uh, new book is published by Book Hug Press. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Hannah Shafi. Ms. Shafi, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, by the way, the art in the book, um, it's just delightful to look at. It's quite striking. Um, it's rendered quite well by the publisher. Thank you so much. Yeah, they did a really, really great job getting them to look super crisp, considering, you know, they're all coming from my my sketchbook. Yeah. So I, I was really, really thrilled when I saw how it turned out. Yeah, I did. stupidly, I thought that, that you'd... you'd gone and colored some of them, but I mean, it'd be a lot of work to have to cut color each copy of the book, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might have been a little difficult, yeah. um, but no, they were able to really, um, it was very, very high quality, like, scans, and uh-huh. we were able to t- capture, you know, all the all the sort of pen and marker strokes, and I'm really glad that was able to come to come through and, and come to life on paper. Do you, do you use a, a, a number of different tools when you when you say draw when you illustrate yeah um i a lot of my illustrations are digital uh, not, the ones in the book though are not digital those are all um just like classic pen and paper uh-huh. um and i use a uh, marker so everything on there is a combination of marker and pen um other works and you know other things i've done um i'll do some things digitally sort of it just kind of depends on what i'm drawing um there's certain you know, commissions or projects that lend itself better to doing something digital, especially yeah. if, like, you're adding a lot of text, you're making a poster. But for this, I wanted to keep it very organic and raw. And I, I think that, you know, just doing it the good old-fashioned way on paper really lends itself best to to that feeling of authenticity. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the, the, the poems in the book are organic and raw, aren't they? I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, are, they are feelings that you, you have um, and you take to pen and paper or the computer screen and write, I would assume, rather quickly, do you? Yeah, um, I try not to linger too much on each line. Obviously, there's, you know, editing and stuff that happens after, and my editor was was really, really fantastic, Um, but there's sort, like, I sort of don't want to, I didn't want to polish it too much, because Mm -hmm. it is sort of supposed to capture those immediate feelings or assumptions that we make um and so you really have to try to capture that in the moment otherwise you know it can it can feel really contrived so i wanted it to 
sort of be these these quick takes, yeah. um, so that I was I was getting the feeling of the moment. Yeah, the the feeling that I got as as I was reading the poems in the collection, other than envy, because I I uh, wish that I could see the world <laughs> like you do. Um, is is, is uh, empathy may not be the right word. It, it, it's a, it's that you have this keen understanding of other people and whatever it is that they're going through and, and, and how that might contribute to whatever interaction you're, you're having with them or whatever feeling you're having uh, with them. Um, this, this, this power of, of observation that you seem to have, where do you think that comes from? Do you think that can be taught even? Um, I think it can be taught. Uh, I just feel like sometimes we're really wrapped up in our own world. And it becomes especially easy to be wrapped up in yourself when you live in a city. Like, obviously, you know, I live in Toronto, uh-huh. and I'm encountering, you know, when I'm running my errands, I'm encountering dozens and dozens and sometimes hundreds of people a day, you know, people just whis- whisping sort of past you. And I just feel like it's very easy to not notice, and I think also not noticing people is, um, a sort of survival mechanism that people who, yeah. um, especially who are living in metropolitan areas, uh-huh. have sort of taken on because it's how they sort of get through their day with as little hassle as, as possible. But, you know, as a result, we're, we're turning away from others, from our community, um, from people who are really our, our, our neighbors, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of poems where, like, I admit that, like, I'm not always thinking in the most understanding way where my immediate feeling is to jump to anger or to being annoyed um and then I kind of have to sit and reflect on you know why why I'm feeling that way and and where this person is coming from like you just it kind of especially hit during like lockdown and stuff sure yeah like being at home and really not seeing anyone um was I guess starting to make me realize like how much we're always in the own our, our own sort of bubble mm-hmm. we're so invested in our own lives sometimes we don't even notice that like someone who may have been rude to you or strange to you or looked at you funny during the day like you have no idea what their day has looked like or what their life had looked like or is going to look like sometimes just reflecting on that is is it, it can be very enlightening <laughs> yeah you, you also give voice to ambivalence which is hard to do Mm-hmm. Um, because um, otherwise, why would you write something about you know something that you're, you're conflicted about? Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the one poem, and this may not be a good example, but but I, I keep thinking about it long after I finished reading the book. It, it is Off White Night mm-hmm. um, about how this guy that you see on the bus, I think it is, um, mm-hmm. helps an old lady with her bags, but he's also not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I thought that that um, encapsulates. Um, a lot of things, a lot of things that the people are feeling about, and uh, you know, reminds us of the time where we had to mask all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like a weird experience because yeah. it was when it was mandatory, like on public transit, and yeah. you know, at first I see him and he's the only one not wearing it, and I'm thinking, oh, this guy, like he's not wearing a mask, right. like what's he thinking? And then he goes and he helps this woman, and he's very kind to her, and I have to kind of sit with myself of how do we define like good people, bad people, good decisions, bad decisions. Um, it's not as black and white as we'd like it to be, you know? Like, it, if I wanted to sort of reassert my own worldview, I could just paint him as a 
you know, a complete douchebag and yeah. think, no, I don't like this guy and he's terrible and he has no redeeming qualities because that helps me sort of reassert my own moral compass that I'm doing the right thing and he's doing the wrong thing. Um, but then he goes and he does something that is right and I have to kind of sit with that uncomfortable feeling. And I think more people need to sit with those uncomfortable feelings because people are imperfect and people will do things, good things and bad things that will shock you. Yeah, and then I, I think, um, uh, sorry, I'm just looking for the poem in the book. I need to hate him, but today, today I can't. Tomorrow is another day. Um, I mean, that, that says a lot. I mean, you, you could just be uh, physically and mentally tired from other experiences you've had that you just don't want to think about it or you don't mm-hmm. want to expend the, the, the dislike towards the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, these are things that we all go through throughout the day and, and um, whatever knee-jerk reaction we have, I, I think we should... Um, um, I mean, it's okay to have a knee-jerk reaction to things, but I think it, we need to think about why we're doing the things that we're doing as well in reaction to whatever 100%. someone like else I is doing, right? Yeah. People don't sit with their feelings. like They have their reaction, and then they have to calm down from the reaction, and then it's over. Yeah. And we never really ask ourselves, you know... What is, you know, like, is it that simple or is it a little more complicated than we think it is? And um, I, I think it's beneficial to sometimes be um, introspective about those things. And I, I feel like it's, I, I, I don't know if, I don't know what it is now, but sometimes I feel like there's it, everything's so much more like intense and reactive and yeah. people don't like sit down with their thoughts and feelings like they're just. You know, everything immediately is, like, going on to, um, like, Twitter or Instagram or something like that. And um, we're not, like, sitting with our uncomfortable thoughts as much. Yeah. Do, do, do you keep a diary? I, I do from time to time. I, my diary's kind of a mess because I'll, like, write in it really diligently. And then I'll get annoyed. And then I'll write in my notes app on my phone. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, like, it's, it's, I feel like I'm... <laughs> Like spewing my feelings in a lot of different places. Yeah. So, so <laughs> do you view your poetry as uh, in the same way as a, sort of a diary, or, or is that something completely different altogether? That um, kind of writing, say. I mean, it sounds a lot nicer than my diary, but very much there is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, is a, there is a very like confessional element to it. So I would say that's a pretty um, apt comparison because it, it is sort of like. It's just very, it is highly personal, and it is sort of me divulging those, you know, deep, dark, secret, secret thoughts. Um, but yeah. it, it sounds a lot nicer in the poem than, <laughs> than it does in journal entries. The, um, there's a beautiful poem in the book, um, and I forget the title now, but you, you talk about being happy for others. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think this had to do with, with those people who've moved on. Mm-hmm. And you, mm-hmm. you talk so um, movingly in that poem about... Um, how happy you are that they've managed to overcome what they've needed to overcome, but missing them mm-hmm. as part of one's life. Um, and, and the line from it that I jotted down, missing somebody is a privilege and loving is easy. I can't tell you how long I've had to sit and think about that for um, after reading the poem and, and now thinking about the entire collection. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people in one's life that... Um, we have to get rid of, obviously, and, and there's some that, that do leave and that, I guess, leave a mark, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's making peace with it all that I think people find difficult, don't they? 
It is hard. Um, I think sometimes, like, we want to put our own needs first. There are people that we sort of need, mm-hmm. and we don't necessarily think that they might need something else. They might need a change of scenery. They might need a different kind of support. Um, and, you know, like, I had a couple of friends who who had to sort of move away or kind of move on to different lives, and, you know, the first feeling is sadness because it's like, you know, why don't you want to stay and keep things the same with me, you know? Yeah. But it's it's about knowing that sometimes people doing what's right for them might feel like it's wrong for you but you you have to make peace with the fact ultimately it's it's their life they can't you know work on everything just to appease you or somebody can't stick around just so that you won't feel lonely if they're not in the right place if they're not in the right setting um so it's it's hard you have to sort of you know weigh out if you can be truly happy for someone even if you know their decisions don't necessarily benefit you in any way yeah yeah the the, the fourth chapter in, in the collection is called nemesis um mm-hmm. these are um um uh, there are a couple of poems there where you, you talk about bad relations if you will you know how mm-hmm. to deal with those ants that that you you can't uh, stand or understand even um, mm-hmm. And there are others who are, are worse, who who aren't good people. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think it's a cop out when people say, "Well, blood is thicker than water," and 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 uh, you know, the, or they use that as an excuse to, to to keep people that they they shouldn't keep in their lives? It's a definitely a cop out. Um, people will make a lot of excuses for family, and if someone who wasn't related to them behaved in the same way or did the same things, you know, they'd cut that person out. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in, you know, family drama, every, everyone's family has drama. And I've noticed that family drama is the type where no one ever seems to be held accountable for anything. Mm. Um, nothing really changes. Everything's just kind of like, well, this person's that way. And you have to be nice to so-and-so because this is how they are. And, and I, you know, I hear the stories in my family and I hear it with like all, all my friends, you know, they all have very different families in mind and different family dynamics, and yet the stories around sort of the drama and the issues are, they have a lot of parallels. Um, and ultimately, they never really have a real resolution because it's just sort of like, oh, well, we'll see you at the next family dinner, and nothing will be different, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a cop-out. So how have, you, how have you been able to deal with this? I mean, I... I I, I, I sort of, I, I'm 41 now, and, and at 18 I realized there were things that, that I did or I was forced to do as a kid that I, I, I no longer had to, I had no obligation to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, as I get older, that, that feeling, I mean, when I turn 30, when I turn 40, these things, you know, I became resolute that, that there's certain people and things um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have anything to do with anymore. And mm-hmm. if forced to, say, at a, a family occasion, um, so sometimes I just skip the the, the damn thing, mm-hmm. um, but um, you know then then I time it out like uh, I'd say well you know I only have to be there for forty five minutes so that, I mean that's not much. Yeah, you have to pick your battles, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I deal with it. Is I yeah. pick my battles. Um, I try to put down certain boundaries where I can, but it's very very difficult. Um, what I kind of try to do, or what I think is best thing to do, is you sort of find your allies in the family. So I have a really big family. Yeah. So if I have issues with someone or something, if, you know, if I know that I'm just going to have to grin and bear it 
I have to kind of at least have my my ally or my other family member who feels the same way so that we can vent about it to each other later. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes that support is what you need to get through it because sometimes it's not necessarily an option to, like, you know, it causes more fights for you to not show up or not say this and that, you know. So I try to at least find support somewhere. Um, and then there's other times where you, you do just have to put your foot down. Um, but definitely not, not all the arguments in my life that I've had with family have been worth it. And I've had many arguments. So I try to be a little bit more selective now about where to sort of expend my energy. And this is not just family. These are people, you know, that you, you have to deal with regularly. I mean, Oh yeah. You, and it, it it applies to anyone. Like it's, um, you really, I, I, there was kind of a point in my, you know, early twenties and teens where I would sort of be willing to fight over anything you know and it was it drained me like i just lost the energy to keep going um and now i'm just a little more selective i realize that there are some people who are very set in their ways or set in their views and getting into a screaming match with them or trying to reason with them is doing more damage than it is good because i'm just leaving i'm leaving the interaction feeling drained and that person's leaving the interaction feeling more certain in their in their thoughts and actions than ever. Yeah, yeah. So you you have to be you I, I think you get the wisdom progressively as you get older sure, of yeah. how to deal with people that are I mean ultimately being difficult in your life. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know what, I'm I'm not speaking to you anymore and you cut that person out. But uh, unfortunately not every interaction can be so uh, cut and dry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, uh, you know, wanting to be the lead character in my story or my drama. Mm-hmm. Um, want to do something heroic and and you know have the big you know the big dramatic scene and the big blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, as I get older, I wish I did it when I was younger, because now I just don't want to do it. You know, I just don't care anymore, right? Um, exactly. Like I feel like, especially when I. Um, when I've been trusted with like younger people or like who are really passionate about something, you know, they have all that fervor and energy, and that's yeah. great. Um, but you know, what I would say to them is like, you know, be careful how you expend that energy because it, it burns out so quickly, um, and you really have to find ways to like preserve your peace. You know. Yeah. Um, a lot of the the, the things that, that you've come to in the book, a lot of this wisdom, if you will are things that we all essentially know, but we tend mm-hmm. to forget, and we, we um, lose sight of, of what's important. Um, how do you keep it in your d- daily life, say, that, that you're able to, 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 to keep, I mean, we all fall short, don't we, from time to time? Um, but you, you seem to be grounded enough that, that, that you know how to look at life the way we should. Mm-hmm. Is that an assumption on my part, or I mean... You know, I it depends on the day. There are times <laughs> yeah. where I can ground myself and I can sort of sit with these universal truths and be like, okay, you know what? Um, I need to try to be more understanding or yeah. I need to take things one step at a time or I need to preserve my energy here. And then there are days where I'm having a terrible day and I'm just fed up and I'm angry and I'm feeling irrational and I don't want to take that extra second to breathe and be patient. Um, and co- like context is everything, right? Um, there are times where you're being totally going to blow up and get angry, and there are things worth getting angry over, right? Yeah. Like it's not a, 
you can't always be sort of in this perpetual zen um, because there are things that you have to be passionate about in your life and that are worth being passionate about. Um, and But sometimes there's also, like, sometimes we find ourselves acting out just because, like, we've had a personal inconvenience. And we don't care how it, how it affects anybody else because we're so focused on our own misery. And I try, I try my best to check myself in those moments. And if I can't check myself in those moments, I am glad to have friends and people around me who might be willing to call, to call me out when I'm, you know, just wallowing or being petty or being callous in some way. Yeah, I think that's the thing that, I, that I've realized as I've gotten older is that, that we do have to, to carefully curate that group of people around us. Oh, very much so. You can't have people who always um, agree with you on on every one of your actions. You yeah. have to have friends who are willing to be like, hey, you're actually being really petty and passive-aggressive here, and <laughs> why don't you take a seat and think about this first, you know? Yeah. The other thing that I, I was thinking about in the book, I, I was going to ask you about how men can be bitter allies to women, um, the, um, th- this idea that, uh, um, of what heroic is or, or who we consider heroes, um, I think there, there are too many people that call themselves heroes, but not enough people who actually are. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, especially on social media, I've seen a lot of, like, people doing good, but they're also filming the whole thing, so they're, you know, filming themselves <laughs> giving yeah. um, money, for example, to a, you know, homeless, a street-involved person, and it's kind of upsetting to watch, I mean, first of all, filming someone uh, who, who's potentially at their lowest moment, or potentially not even aware of their surroundings entirely, and then sort of patting yourself on the back, and... Um, you know, I kind of tried, my, my, my grandma has this bit of wisdom um, that she imparted on my mom and my mom imparts on me. Um, the English translation is to do good and then throw it in the well. Mm. And it's just supposed to be that you have to do good things and then walk away from it. You can't do good things with this expectation that people are not going to applaud you, that the good karma is going to come back immediately, that you're going to get this title as hero, you're going to get the sass and the crown. You have to do good and then completely walk away from it and expect nothing to come of it, um, and that that is the real definition of a good deed. So um, I think more people need to realize that, that uh, it's not about how good it looks online or how many people pat you on the back for it. It's, it's about the simple action of doing something kind for someone else. But you, you have found that in your experience, that, that too many guys consider themselves allies, say, to, to oh, women. very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Um, I think there is a lot of men who conflate being allies with being nice to women that they're attracted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like you have to be nice to all women. Right. Okay? Yeah. You have to like here's the thing, you have to be nice to all people. Like you, you have to you have to meet everybody with a basic level of respect. Um Obviously, there's going to be people you encounter that you don't like for whatever reason, that you don't want to spend time with, but everyone deserves a basic level of respect. You don't have to, you know, bend down and kiss their feet, but you need to be decent to them. And it's decent is not like, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't catcall you all night. <laughs> I didn't say one misogynistic thing to you. I am an ally. It's like, 
it's not so much about how you act in front of me. I feel like it's more about how you act behind my back. Mm. Um, because I think that there's many men who are willing to be respectful in front of women, but then will sort of um, say and do pretty terrible things when no one is looking. Um, so very much that like stereotype of like locker room talk. Yeah. Um, so who are you when you're not going to be rewarded by the women around you? If there's no woman there to say pat you on the back and say you're such a good guy, are you still going to carry those principles? Are you still going to care about you know women's liberation, even if you don't want to, even if all the women in that liberation don't want to bang you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> like people are are missing the point on supporting a cause. It's you don't have to support something just because it's immediately beneficial to you. Sometimes you support something because it's the right thing to do. It's a good thing, yeah. Yeah, we forget mm-hmm. that it is a good thing, yeah. Um, there, there, there are a couple of poems in the book that, that where you lament. I, I don't know if lament's the right word, but you you um, uh, look at how attractiveness and beauty are still valued above other things that are more mm-hmm. important. Um, and you work through your feelings about that in in the in the in the, the poems that I'm referring to, um, I, I guess there's no way to get around that or, or get away from that, is there? Not really. I I think that there's many people um, in the feminist movement, and particularly in the body positive movement, that are trying to talk about that, that are trying to point out the ways that how we define sort of beauty is rooted in a lot of really terrible things, mm-hmm. like. The way that we define people's worth by their looks, you can see it in celebrity culture, you can see it in the way we treat aging women, um, and, you know, a lot of what we consider beautiful is, is historically rooted in, in racism, it's rooted in colonialism, it's rooted in uh, eugenics, and um, people have to be willing to dismantle that and unlearn that, because it, it's sort of ingrained in us with everything we watch, everything we consume since our childhood, um, and, of course, now, like, you know, we, we have made strides. Um, there is sort of more, like, diversity representation in the shows we watch and you know, the movies we consume. But there's still a long way to go. And ultimately, people still perceive those who are conventionally unattractive as less worthy, less um, less intelligent, less good. It's, it's, a, it's a theory called the, um, the halo effect. I think I actually named one of the poems after that, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But it, it's a it was, it's a theory. Um, they did these studies yeah. that showed that people who are considered more beautiful like literally get treated better and are more likely to get jobs and are considered to be better, smarter, more trustworthy people. Um, and that's that's kind of messed up. Yeah, yeah. You know, on one hand, we're always spouting, don't judge a book by its cover. And then on the other hand, we're doing that every single day. Yeah. Yeah, that is the title of the poem, The Halo Effect, um, that I've been thinking about as well. Um, uh, It it, it really is hard to get away from that. I mean, we we, Mm -hmm. we make these these judgments so quickly with people that we interact with. Absolutely. And I've made those judgments myself. And I've had to think about... You know, am I really put off by this person, or is, or am I reacting out of some kind of like, oh, I just, I just don't like the way they look. I just yeah. don't like their clothes. I just don't like their hair. Like, um, but again, you know, as I said before, I don't know that a lot of people are willing to take the time to 
sit and ask themselves those questions because sometimes those questions reveal sides of ourselves that are not flattering. Yeah, indeed. So when I ask myself those questions, sometimes the answer is that I'm being shallow, that I'm being prejudiced. That I'm, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. I, I think it's you, you have to look at those sides of yourself because we're all imperfect people. Um, and too many people, you know, we want to see the best in ourselves, but everybody's, everybody's multidimensional. Not all of our sides are our best sides. Yeah. There's a great poem um, near the, the end of the book called The Collector. And that, oh, hit, yes. that hit hard for me. Um, the idea that um, the, the collector forego, in my case, I forego, uh, what is the, the, the uh, past? For, for, I, I've, I've <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think now. Um, uh, the, the collector foregoes a husband for things. I've, 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 I've uh, is foregone the right word? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I, I've, I've collected uh, things over the years, and, and it, to the uh, exclusion of, say, a wife and, and a family or children. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't regret that. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've collected, uh, d- doing the, the podcast, doing interviews, I think, uh, you, you forego a social life for, for, for sure. But I, at the end of the day, no, I, I that, that spoke to me because, um, yeah, it w- everything's been worth it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like, um, that poem is about how, like, on the outside, you would think to feel bad for her because she represents this like spinster sort of image um but you shouldn't because you know as i sort of go go through in the poem her collections are from all of her travels she's done a lot she has amazing things um and although our first instinct would be to feel bad for her or look down on her for sort of not meeting those conventional societal milestones like marriage and children um she's really living her best life um, you know, and I talk in the poem about how, you know, she's got, she's got her birds and she serenades them and she looks over her collections of things and remembers all of her fabulous trips and all the people she's met. And, um, she's kind of awesome, even if her lifestyle seems a little strange. It's such a relief to read. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the, 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 I just, uh, uh, flip through the book to find it. Uh, why choose marriage or children? It would only reduce her closet space. Um, exactly. <laughs> that says a lot. That says a lot. Yeah, like I, I did not write that sarcastically. I really meant that. Like, <laughs> she's got a lot of things. She needs the room. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to hear you enjoyed that poem. Because that one is also a favorite of my parents. They love that one. <laughs> uh, that's great to hear. Yeah. yeah. What, what's next for you? Are, are you working on another collection now? Are you working on other types of writing, say? Um, I've been sort of tentatively working on a fiction on and off over the last couple of years. Or more than that. I'm not really sure. Um, I'm fiction. Writing fiction is not my strong suit. Mm-hmm. So it's been sort of a grueling process. Uh, I don't know what will come of it. I don't know if I'll end up trying to actually publish it or if I'll end up doing another collection of poetry. I'm not really sure, but um, it's under my belt, and I'm sort of saying it because if I say it out loud, then that means I have to be committed to finishing it. <laughs> so hopefully I actually finish this work of fiction. I've got a friend who's hounding me to finish it, so 
they're going to hold me accountable to making it happen. Yeah, well, I can't wait to read whatever it is, whatever's next, because I've become a fan. Um, Thank you. Thanks to this book. I, I've enjoyed this a lot. Congratulations on it, and thanks for your time today, Hannah. Thank you so much. The book is called People You Know, Places You've Been. It's published by Book Hug Press. It's uh, author and illustrator Hannah Shaffey. Join me on the line from Toronto in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planto.